All right. Sorry. I had to get it set up. It's all fixed now. But yeah, okay. if, you're, if you don't want something in it or if you're uncomfortable talking about something, just off the record and we'll move straight past it. Okay. Um, but yeah, I it's nothing super intensive for my, I guess, talk. I just wanted to be kind of an open discussion and just, okay. more, and just a lot more personal because for my whole paper about it, it was just a lot of like, this is this and this is that and this is how this is and not emotion because it was a research paper. So mm-hmm. I would just, it's just to hear your opinion. So for the questions that I have, let me pull those up real quick. Sorry. Getting those. Okay. So basically it's just, I guess, an introduction of yourself, your name, and what you do, if you wouldn't mind. Okay. Okay. Uh, my name is Judy Wells. And um, I am re- retired, professionally retired. Um, I was trained as a social worker. Um, and one of the things I became involved in in retirement is working with uh, the organization Compassion and Choices, um, which works on end-of-life issues, um, both in helping people prepare for things like uh, advanced directives and medical power of attorney and uh, just fostering discussion. And then we also work on um, uh, medical uh, aid in dying, uh, working on getting that legislation passed in Virginia. All right. Um, A follow-up question to that. Through a lot of my research, I found it's it's not really a very known topic. A lot of people are unaware of it and are unaware of, like, different end-of-life options and that, a lot of people just didn't know about it and weren't really volunteering for it. So what brought you to volunteer? Why do you do what you do? Okay. Um, I think I've I've always had kind of an, well, with social work background, I've had an interest in, in um, the whole scope of people's lives. You know, we do a lot of planning for a lot of things in our lives. We plan you know, where we're going to send our children to daycare. Uh, we, we spend hours struggling over that. We we plan, you know, parties. We plan events. We plan all kinds of things. But we don't typically plan our final act very well. We, we as a society, don't talk about it much. And that always seemed to be um, uh, kind of a, a missed opportunity. And, you know, of course, I have uh, experienced death in my family, but I think the the event that probably prompted me to really feel like I really wanted to do something, um, my sister, my younger sister, was diagnosed with um, stage four lung cancer, which had metastasized to her brain and spine. And um, so she had a very, very short time from diagnosis to, to death. And I, uh, she lived in Illinois and I, I lived in Virginia. So I moved um, back in with her and her partner for a couple of months at the end to just kind of help in her care. And um, seeing what she had to go through, both the hoops with getting care and um, just the, the suffering that she went through when we, we knew there was there was no other outcome except death, um, was was very hard. And I thought, you know, there must be a better way. And I don't want to have to go through that again with someone I love. Excuse me. <laughs> it's been several years and it's still a hard thing. Um, 
And so that prompted me to see, you know, well, what can we do to make this a, um, you know, the one thing that we're all going to go through, what can we do to make it a, a, uh, a better experience? Wow, I'm I'm so sorry for your loss. Thank you. I I could not I couldn't imagine. Um oh, took me back. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um but yeah, I I can't relate to that at all, but hearing people's stories like that and I guess kind of witnessing some of it through my own family is what's brought my passion for it. And this has given me a great opportunity because through research, I've I've gotten, I guess, a lot more, not accustomed, but invested in hearing people's stories mm-hmm. and understanding them. And then something amazing is how people's lives can impact, like, just law itself. So um, going with that, I actually had a question that went along with that. <laughs> well, I think, you know, what you mentioned, you know, stories – are really important in our culture. And you can read academic articles and you can read, you know, oh, you know, medical books or whatever, but hearing what people's lives are like and what people, you know, actually go through um, makes it much more real. It, it really does. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that it. I um in part of my paper I I guess we so it's a global academy right so we have to compare or not compare but relate to foreign countries so uh-huh. I cho- I chose the Netherlands Belgium and Canada and I compared mm-hmm. their law to our law and um it was weird seeing how in a Euro- in European countries and Canada that they, they're a lot more accepting of people, I guess, having full body autonomy through life and death. And it was it was kind of odd noticing that because it seems like such a debate um, among Americans. Uh-huh. Um, however, I guess in passing legislature, I talked about Brittany Maynard's story, where uh-huh. it, it seems to have played such a big factor in like medical aid and dying being legalized in California. And it had a trickle effect. So I, I talked a lot about that. So it was, it's just great to hear that people are invested in this because yeah. of people's personal stories, because you can talk about facts and statistics all day. But yeah. I, I think one of the, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, I think one of the things with the Brittany Maynard story, too, is, you know, we like to think that death is something that's way down the road for all of us. But, um, you know, that made it clear that, you know, none of us have any guarantees. And here was a, a, you know, beautiful young woman in the prime of her life. And, um, you know, she was forced to, to deal with it. And um, and just really, that got so much publicity that it really got conversations going um, in many quarters where people just hadn't talked about it before. Yeah, that was amazing. That was amazingly said. Um, I'm sorry. It's just talking about it. It's a lot different than writing about it. So it's taking me aback a bit. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's different when you live it. <laughs> it. It really does. So I, I've looked into compassion choices and death with dignity in groups for and against. And I just, 
it's really interesting to see, I guess, different terminology and phrases because I came across this study that showed that people are sometimes in favor of, in things without understanding what they're in favor of. So uh -huh. I was just wondering if you could um, explain the difference between medical aid in dying, assisted suicide, and euthanasia. Okay. Um, I would say probably medical aid in dying is, is fundamentally different from euthanasia. And they both are, are bring about, the goal is to bring about peaceful death, but the distinction is who decides that. In euthanasia, someone else is, is making that decision for a person, and someone else is, excuse me, someone else, I'm not talking well today, someone else is um, administering um, the method by which their death will take place. And in medical aid in dying, it is a person's choice completely, and they must self-administer the drugs. So no one is doing it to anyone. You are you are just making a decision to take this action for yourself. And then, you know, we distinguish suicide. We, we don't liken medical aid in dying to suicide at all because um, people who uh, avail themselves of medical aid in dying don't wish to die. It's just the hard, cold fact that they are dying. And um, what they are choosing is only how their last, you know, uh, amount of time will, will be spent and what the uh, timing and the method will be. But if they had a choice, they could, could live. Um, the other thing that, that makes a big difference is... And you were um, just talking and distinguishing them. Yeah, we were talking about the difference between euthanasia, um, assisted suicide, and medical aid in dying, right? Yes. Okay. Um, you want me to start over on that, or? Oh no, it's it's fine. You can continue. I the recording stayed. The call just did not. Okay. 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 Um, I think I was saying that in uh, when someone uses medical aid in dying, there are very strict requirements that that have to be met. Um, one is that they have to re request it themselves. Nobody can request it for them, and they have to request it multiple times and in multiple formats. Um, they also need to be declared competent by um, two medical professionals. And so frequently in suicide, um, it happens because someone is suppressed or there is a mental illness, um, and in medical aid in dying, you know, that's not the case. We know the person is competent. They are just dying and um, are choosing to um, end their suffering. Um, and uh, like I said, you know, it's it's um, all of the, the laws that have been passed in the states that authorize medical aid in dying make it clear in the legislation that medical aid in dying is not a suicide. Right. Thank you. Um, that was it. Was the uh, just the distinguishing the different practices was it played a very big role in my paper. Another big role mm -hmm. in my paper was um, arguments, you know, for and against, just t discussing it. And um, throughout my paper, I realized that there was a. It's a. Not only I guess is it like there's 
medically there's a debate about it, but it's it's a very a very like is it ethically correct? Is it morally correct? It, there's a lot of talk about that. So in my paper, I also discuss like religious and philosophical beliefs when arguing for and against this topic. And I just wanted to hear what your opinion is. What are the opponents and proponents for medical aid in dying? Okay. Um, you know, for me personally, I have a hard time understanding how anyone would be opposed to it because it's, it's really no one's, no one is affected but the individual, you know, um, right. if, if you didn't want to have this treatment, I am 100% behind you in that choice. You know, if you want to go for every treatment, you know, that's available, I hope you have the opportunity to do that. But if I choose not to, I hope I also have my um, wishes respected and honored. Um, and I think you're right. I think in, in this country, we have a, we supposedly have separation of church and state, but I think that separation <laughs> line is pretty fuzzy. And um, a lot of the opposition comes from um, re- religious communities. Although when we do surveys, Um, we find that approximately 70% of people surveyed support medical aid in dying. And that support crosses, you know, all racial, all ethnic, all uh, religious, um, political groups. So we know that the majority of people support this, but there are organizations um, that do not. Right. And I think there's also, it also gets into, um, I think, the the direction of the medical care in our country. Um, It's like doctors have, or medical, you know, have been um, preserved life at all costs and to the, the furthest extent possible. And, you know, many times, years ago, people would have died from these things much earlier. You know, we wouldn't be living into our 90s, you know, as as we do now. Um, And so, um, you know, I guess for for many of us who are in this, it's quality versus quantity um, when it comes to life. And, yeah. Yeah, um, that's a great point. Um, I, I read a lot about when people, I guess, debated against it. There was a lot of talks about the um, the HIPAA oath, but um, yes. it's funny to find out. I as reading into it, there's so many versions of it that it's it gets really weird to interpret because people have you know their own interpretations of it. A really big um, something you've talked about an argument for was just compassion for people in the end of their mm-hmm. life, giving them, giving me the option to choose and not to, because it's not, you know, it's not our life at the end of the day. Um, and right. then in, in opposed to compassion, people brought up that like other end of life care, palliative sedation, um, you know, terminating treatment, stuff like that. People offering these other options instead of giving people the option for medical aid and dying. So when people, I guess, argue saying, but there's so many other options, what does medical aid in dying provide for a terminally ill patient when there's these other end-of-life options? Okay. Um, I think one of the things it offers people is comfort 
in feeling that they have um, control of their own destiny, that if mm-hmm. the pain becomes too severe and that the, the quality of their life is so diminished that they choose, that they they get no pleasure, they, they don't want to go on, that they have that option. And what we find is that um, for a lot of people, just having that option is enough. About a third of the people who um, actually apply for and actually get the medication for uh, aid in dying never take the medication. They let nature take its course anyway, but they have that reassurance that if, if it becomes too much, that they, they have that option. Right. And I think, you know, back, backing up a little bit too, the idea of, um, you know, the, the doctors, the Hippocratic Oath and so forth, the idea of doing no harm, what we're advocating is just that that decision for what is harmful should be the person's, not some other parties. You know, not the doctors, not a, not a hospital, not a, a government official, but it should be my choice. What is harmful to me um, right. in, in my life, my decision? And again, we, we go back to no one is ever advocating, forcing anyone to make this decision or to avail themselves of this uh, procedure. Uh, just like, you know, nobody's going to make you take chemotherapy or nobody's going to make you do, you know, radiation. Nobody's going to make you choose medical aid and dying. But if you want to do that, it should be an option. Right. Uh, that was... Honestly, pretty much the extent of the questions that I have lined up, the rest of it, I just, I don't know. I guess you have the soapbox, just what, whatever you feel that is important for people to know or understand when it comes to the topic. Just hearing your insight on it as a whole, if that makes sense. Um, Any knowledge you can give me, I would love to have. <laughs> well, I, I, I think you did point out that, um, and I think this is important, other countries are much more, um, I guess, progressive might be the word, in, in their outlook on these things. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's a bit of a mystery why, why the United States is very different than other countries in, in, in many of the social issues, you know, medical-aided dying where we have more um, more controlling laws as far as abortion. We are one of the few um, developed countries that still has uh, the death penalty. Why, you know, and all those issues, when you think about it, really kind of tie in together about um, choice and respect of life, and, and uh, it's a complicated, complicated issue. Mm-hmm. It, it is um, It is. I um just reading into other countries' laws regarding it, it it was really eye opening to see just honestly the division in in America because when it came to Belgium and the Netherlands and Luxembourg, it kind of seemed like a no brainer decision, whereas here it's not. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, there's a really good book. Um, called The Inevitable by Katie Englehart. Mm-hmm. Um, and she discusses um, a lot of the right to die movement in other countries. And um, 
yeah, certainly what we're trying to accomplish with medical aid and dying in this country is, is you know, just a, a tiny step in, in what the, mm-hmm. some people in other countries are, are doing and advocating. Um, um, I think it's important to know, too, that, you know, when we talk about suffering, it's not just, you know, pain necessarily, but we talk about, you know, lack of joy. Um, right. You know, um, and and suffering should be defined by the individual. You know, some people can tolerate a lot of physical pain, um, but, you know, maybe if it was somebody who was always very active, if they if they couldn't, you know, walk or go outside or something like that, that might be suffering beyond which... Um, they they find that intolerable. Mm-hmm. And I think one more thing. I think we. I don't. I'm sure you did this in your paper, but I don't know if we pointed out here too. This is really only being advocated um, as being available to a person who has a diagnosis of terminal illness um, with a prognosis of six months or less to live. So it's not mm-hmm. like um, you know if I if I just and getting old and find I can't get around as much as I used to and can't do all the things. That's not what it's about. You know, it's, uh, and it's definitely self-determination. It's uh, so there's a lot of questions in the um, disability community um, concern on two levels. One is concerned that um, people might be forced or directed into using this against their wishes and any state that has legislation has a lot of safeguards to make sure that does not happen. And then the other concern is at the opposite end, that uh, possibly people with certain disabilities would not be able to avail themselves of it because of the restrictions, Um, you know, the self-ingestion and um, all of the the requirements. So it's an interesting uh, dilemma, (laughs) and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, we're working through it. It um it is interesting. I something you you started covering that it was that was something I learned about. One of the arguments for it was the the slippery slope idea that if it's legalized that that people are that's going to be taken out of hand and people are going to be taken advantage of, and mm-hmm. um, people were worried that there would be just you know medical medical officials coercing patients and people with disabilities into getting it, but looking more into what people are actually trying to have happen, it that wouldn't happen because there's there's so many rules put in place to make sure it won't happen. Like, you can only do it for these certain reasons. You can't just decide out of the blue that this is what's happening. Right. And so right. It's, and it's interesting understanding that. Yeah. I think it's it's good to point out too in that regard, Emma, that um, Oregon was the first state to pass this, and they passed it in 1997. And so we've got almost 30 years of experience with the law, and we have no cases of abuse. Right. There have been no, you know, charges of abuse brought forward. So that's a a pretty good record. And I think you know oh, one other record. thing that probably um, really helps is. Usually this is done, um, people make this decision not in isolation, but in in um, 
with the support of their family, their doctor, their spiritual advisor, if they have one, you know, their counselor, it could be hospice. So it's not like, you know, like in suicide, usually everyone is, is surprised and it's, uh, it's, it's un, unknown, unexpected. And that's a lot of the, the grief, but this, usually you have the family on board. The family is usually there with the person and, you know, they've talked about it and, you know, they, they come to support that. And that's a, a huge gift to give both to the family who are going to be left and to the person who is, is dying to think that they are going to be able to control, that they, you know, will have the people with them uh, who they choose to have with them and, you know, be in their own home or, you know, whatever. So it, it's a very comforting um, thought. Mm-hmm. Probably a passing that, that most of us would be very happy to have if it, if it had to happen. But, you know, we, we, don't, we don't get to control that. Thank you so much for this. This has been honestly great for me. Um, I'm sorry. I, I appreciate hearing what I wrote and what I researched for a month, not not just being words on a paper and seeing people actually put forth the work to make it happen and truly understand it. It's, this has been a great experience for me. Um, Let's see. Do I have anything else that I, I just, I want to ask. Oh, actually there, um, there was this idea that I came across. That was like the pragmatic argument that was like, if other end of life practices are, you know, you know, being practiced and are fully fine. Like why isn't why isn't medical aid and dying okay? Because they they were comparing them and they were like, if you look at it at the root, it's it's the same. You're just trying to have a peaceful, you know, passage to to death, honestly. And so I don't know, I guess what is your opinion on people always pushing for other other options like why why push for other options when you can just have all of them in your toolbox if that makes sense okay sure well i think you know like palliative sedation if if someone's pain um you know is is so great that they're just sedated they're living but they're sedated you know so what what is the the quality of you know they're not awake they're not interacting they're they're and and we don't know always if people are experiencing pain, you know, it, it, that we can't tell. Um, and then, you know, right now, too, if someone is, just says they have enough, about the only thing they can do is to um, voluntarily stop eating and drinking. And that can be a very long and uh, painful experience, you know, depending on the person's health at the time they stop taking um, nutrition and hydration. So, you know, that, that seems to be a lot to ask a person to go through when the, the outcome is going to be the same. Only you could just avoid a lot of suffering for them and their families watching someone go through that. Um, mm-hmm. And then I guess, you know, a lot of people say, well, most doctors, you know, if someone's terminally ill, they have, you know, a supply of morphine and it's not it's not officially sanctioned. It's not, but there shouldn't be guesswork 
you know, people shouldn't be left with trying to guess, you know, how, how to, to manage. Um, and, you know, uh, it, it seems like we have the knowledge and we ought to use that knowledge. Mm-hmm. I think I'm trying to, I guess, figure out what to say. I, I'm just at a loss now. Um, you covered so much that I didn't really have to go through all the questions because you just started <laughs> answering I them. I you <laughs> off. I'm sorry. <laughs> Those of us who do this work, you know, once you get started, <laughs> it's uh, it's pretty internalized. So. Honestly, it was great having to go through 18 questions, answer by answer. It gets kind of repetitive when instead you can just, they're all intertwined anyways. <laughs> you just um, talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Now, in, you know, I'll put in a plug here, um, Emma. You know, in the work we do, people think that, well, you know, most people who are, who are involved in this work are older, but this is not like I said earlier, it's not an issue just for older people, and I would really um, love to see more younger people become involved. And when you think about, you know, a lot of the legislation that has, has gone through um, in um, cases like this, it has been young people, you know, the Brittany Maynards, um, the Terry Shibos, and yeah, I don't, you're probably too young to remember that case, but it was, you know, another situation where someone was in a um, uh, I think they were in a coma, and you know there was legislation of people trying to to um, you know, force that she be kept alive on machines and this type of thing. So you know a lot of our our legislation happens with young people, and and you you never know um, you know car accidents or you know cancer isn't a great respecter of anybody, um, and no one knows what they're situation is going to be. So it, it's really um, would be wonderful to see more younger people um, kind of become involved in this. We could use your skills and, and your energy. I, I agree. I, I would love younger people to be more involved about it because a lot of my peers weren't very aware of what the topic was. And honestly, uh-huh. I didn't seem too interested about it because not saying I think people need to accept that we have, we're going to die, but it's definitely something that can be on the forefront of people's minds because eventually that's going to happen, and you should have the right and death to do as you choose. Right. So I, did, I would love I didn't... for. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yes. Oh, I was just saying. No, I, I would love for it to be an option 